so how's your head? Loaded question, right, if someone were to ask me. So when Joel asked me to give this talk I, about headspace, I wanted to say, absolutely not. Maybe if you were doing a series about being a basket case, that I could uh, get on board with. But a series talking about questions that make me challenge and talk about my struggles, like, no, thank you. My anxiety was at an all-time high. The amount of work I had to do, the schedules I was trying to keep track of, I wasn't sure I was going to have time to eat lunch, let alone figure out how to prep a message or actually take time to listen to what I should say. I just wasn't sure that I could actually do it. I was feeling like a solid C minus on a scale of A to F, and I didn't know how one more thing was actually going to get accomplished. And I don't know how you handle stressful situations or seasons in your life, but I'm not great at it, to be perfectly honest. I typically put on a pretty brave face, but inside I am wound up, tied in knots. So naturally, I started thinking about all the things that could and would go wrong if I agreed to give this talk. And I'm talking about things that probably wouldn't happen, but what if they did? You know, processing through worst case scenarios and just all of the things that go with uh, give, standing up and talking in front of people. And sometimes it sounds crazy. And it's okay if it sounds crazy to you because I'm the one living it and it, you know, sounds crazy to me too. But my mind is constantly humming. And I'm talking about rehearsing conversations I'd like to have, rehashing conversations I've had in the past, thinking about hypothetical conversations that I might need to have with somebody. My brain is constantly running. It's insomnia for days because I can't shut my brain off. It's deciding to stay home instead of go out because talking to people seems stressful. It's having a panic attack in the middle of the grocery store at the beginning of the pandemic because I didn't know if I could get it. I didn't know how I would get it. I didn't know if I would die, if I got it, if I'd pass it along to somebody that I love. And my poor husband who was at the grocery with me who is um, going down the aisle because I couldn't go down there because there were too many people. And I'm standing at the end and and I'm sure he felt like he brought a toddler to the grocery store because he's trying to get his items while also making sure I'm not like darting out into the traffic, into the parking lot. But if we haven't ever met, my name is Allison and I'm uh, an anxious person. And we are going to talk about it today because if you have anxiety and panic attacks, I'm sure you're looking at me like, why are you the one talking to us today about anxiety? Clearly, you have some work to do on yourself, and you're not wrong, okay? Working through this and learning and just processing as I was uh, researching for this talk has been such a blessing to me, and I honestly hope that it will be to you as well. So initially, I thought I would just stand up here and be like, well... This is what it looks like. Now go and be better, okay? But And I joke, but anxiety is real, and it looks so different for all of us. And I didn't realize that not everyone in the world was wound up all the time inside and on edge and going a lot like this until I was well into adulthood. Um, and I thought everyone just had these same anxious, wound up feelings that I had. And it's okay if your anxiety looks a little different than mine. I also did not realize that there were different levels and kinds of anxiety until I was way too old to probably have realized that. So one thing I want to make really clear, though, as we start this morning is that 
Anxiety is real, you guys, and it looks different for all of us. And you will never hear myself or Joel or anyone here tell you that your anxious feelings are not valid. In fact, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America in 2019, so this is pre-pandemic here, 40 million people were diagnosed or adults, I should say, adults were diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. 40 million, and that was pre-pandemic. And only 36.9% of those 40 million actually seek any treatment or get help for their anxiety. But these aren't just statistics. These are people, real people that you know, that I know, and honestly, that breaks my heart. And I know that it breaks the heart of God. So I also want to be very clear from the beginning that if you are someone who lives with persistent anxiety, worry, fear, I am so sorry that that is something that you struggle with. And I see you and you are not alone and seeking counseling or medication is not only okay, but it's actually encouraged because some anxiety disorders are genetic predispositions that you can't do anything about. Sometimes they are caused by past trauma or frightening, scary things that have happened in our lives. Sometimes you may have had a parent or a caretaker who modeled that sort of behavior. So if no one has ever told you before, let me be the first to tell you that you can feel better. It does not have to be like this. And man, I wish today I could stand up here with a magic wand and wave all of your anxiety away as well as my own because I would dance around this stage all morning, even though nobody really wants to see that, doing that for all of us, okay? So unfortunately, though, that isn't the case this morning. So what is anxiety? Because it may seem like a buzzword to you. Um, I know growing up, I didn't hear a lot of people talk about mental illness, anxiety, depression. Um, and I am so thankful for all of the people who have gone before me, shared their stories, their struggles, their challenges, because there is slight comfort in knowing that you're not alone. But what actually is anxiety? Anxiety is a feeling or of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. And anxiety disorders are different from that general description, though. They're a group of mental disorders that cause constant and overwhelming worry, fear, and anxiety that can make you avoid work, school, your family, even when you actually like your family. And if this is you, like I said, I see you and I want you to know that there is hope and that you can be the healthiest version of yourself that you know is still deep down in there. And as a side note, if that is you today, I am so glad that you decided to join us in the room or online because Bridgeway is a place where it's okay to not be okay. It's a place where your doubts and your questions and your fears are not just about faith, but about life, and they have space, and they have a place here. Your authentic self, who you truly are, has a place here, because we all struggle with different things. 
And I'm going to spend most of my time this morning talking about generalized anxiety, though, the kind of anxiety that we all face, the kind that can look like muscle tightness, uh, not being able to sleep, being all wound up, but getting easily fatigued, irritable, having difficulty concentrating. I don't know if that sounds like anybody besides myself, but I'd like to suggest that maybe that is actually called being human. Any, or humans are anxious, and if you haven't been, if you're not now, you probably will be at some point, but animals typically don't have anxiety, okay? We have a dog, Wrigley, she's nine, she is not anxious. Anything that sleeps that much only to like wake up, maybe go potty, and then reposition herself to go back to sleep, not anxious, right? And one of the fundamental reasons why my dog is not anxious is because her work involves sleeping or eating or maybe trying to escape out the front door occasionally. But Wrigley isn't oppressed. She doesn't feel inferior. She doesn't have any responsibilities. And when, you know, our, she feels fear or our other dog is terrorizing her, she comes up close, she sits, she wants somebody to pet her and tell her it's going to be okay, and then she goes back to napping. In other words, if you have anxiety, you're human. Congratulations, right? <laughs> anxiety essentially represents the awareness of not being in control. The main times I have anxiety and it seems like everything is colliding and I have no plan of action or the plan that I thought I had isn't working when I can't comprehend all that I have to do or how it's gonna get done, I have anxiety. I fear, fear of failure, fear of everything collapsing, fear of disappointing someone, fear of rejection, fear of being seen as weak. Anxiety is also the association of our works and our self. So I have two teenagers who see themselves as good students. So when they look at a grade on a test as a representation of who they are as people, that gives them anxiety. When I I get anxiety when I think about having people over to my home because I want to be seen as a good wife and mother. And I look at the cleanliness of our house or how well I can cook a meal, which isn't great, as a representation of who I am as a person. And that causes me anxiety. But what does the Bible actually have to say about anxiety? Quite a bit, actually. So I'll just put a few up here. But in Philippians 4... Six, the Apostle Paul told other Jesus followers, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. In 1 Peter 5, 7, another one of Jesus' closest friends, Peter says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. In Isaiah 35, 4, the prophet Isaiah writes, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And you may see have seen some of these on coffee mugs, maybe a well-intentioned friend who knows you have anxiety, you know, gave you one trying to be comfort. And while all of these things are very true, they aren't always very helpful in the moment because anxious people typically don't want to be anxious, right? It's kind of like telling someone who's fired up mad about something to calm down. 
literally never in the history of ever has someone calmed down by being told to calm down, right? It's the same concept. The Bible also talks about King David being depressed, how Job felt hopeless, how King Solomon hated life, and how Jeremiah wished he'd never been born. You guys, the Bible doesn't hide these struggles, and we're not going to here either because anxiety and mental health are not sins. But one passage that I never realized um, played a role with anxiety is the story of Mary and Martha. And as I was preparing for this talk, I kept coming back to it because I've always seen myself as Martha while wishing I could be Mary. And if you're not familiar with the story of Mary and Martha, or maybe you haven't uh, heard it in a long time, we find their encounter with Jesus in Luke. And Luke was a first century doctor, actually, who wanted to know about this Jesus dude. Like, who is this? And who are the people who have come in contact with him? Like, what do they have to say about him? And so in Luke chapter 10, he starts by saying, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. From reading this verse, we know that Jesus has traveled and has ended up um, in a small village, and Martha has invited him into uh, the home that she shares with her sister, Mary. And in that time, hospitality was a big deal. You guys, we think hospitality now is, you know, inviting over a friend or family member for an evening or maybe hosting an out-of-town guest for a day, two, definitely not three, though, because that is pushing it. And But back then, hospitality was seen as an act of worship to God. They provided food and lodging, security, sometimes gifts as an act of worship to these travelers and these strangers along the road. So it's not just someone they already knew. It wasn't necessarily a friend or family member. It was a stranger off the street that they provided all of these things to. So when you think that their guest was Jesus... Anxiety level 100, right? This guy is not just a regular traveler. He's been performing miracles. He might be the Messiah. And this was a big undertaking for Martha and Mary. So as we go on, Luke tells us that she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. After Martha has welcomed Jesus into their home, Luke tells us that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary actively stopped what she was doing and placed herself at Jesus' feet. This is, for me, where the Jaws music kind of starts, and it's like, da-da, because a storm is coming, right? If you have siblings, you can probably imagine the side eye that Martha is giving Mary, like, girl, what? Or she's probably gesturing behind Jesus, like, get over here and help me, you know? Like, what are you doing? And in verse 40, we read, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha finally can't take it anymore. She vents her frustration to Jesus, which I'm like, ooh, girl, but she doesn't know what else to do. She's consumed. She's overwhelmed, and she can't take it anymore, so she's just begging him, like, please tell her to do something, right? The amount of cleaning, cooking, preparing is more than like our typical getting ready to have family over for Thanksgiving. And Mary is just chilling, talking to Jesus like, what? Instead of helping her sister. 
But some people make Martha the villain in this story. But in fact, she's doing exactly what was expected of her in this time and also expected of Mary. The expectation is that you would feed your guests, house your guests, make sure they have everything they need, make sure they're comfortable, and make sure they feel welcome. Yet Mary left Martha to just do it all herself. And Martha is feeling the weight, which I feel for her even now. Like, I am feeling that. She realized that by herself, she couldn't make it happen. She was exasperated and is asking the Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Now, some scholars criticize Martha for having a skewed perspective. She values the work over her guest. And while it may be a little skewed, it's also human. She's distracted by many things. She is worried. She is anxious about how it will get all done. And she questions Jesus, again, just begging him to intervene, to do something, Martha is basically saying. Has that been you before? I know it's been me. And this is why, after rereading this verse, that I love Martha so much because she's so full of humanity. She's a real woman. She's a real person just like me. And she was stressed. She, about the visitors in her home, about the cooking, about the cleaning, she was overwhelmed and worried about how it was all going to get done. And she didn't know what else to do. She was anxious, feeling out of control, and I know that feeling all too well. Now, this isn't all to say that Mary isn't full of humanity because she is. She is actually the best version of humanity because she is sitting and loving Jesus with her whole heart, mind, soul, and strength like it tells us to do in the first commandment. But what I love about Martha is that she needs to be brought out of herself. She needed to realize that she wasn't actually in control. She couldn't do anything about Mary. She, and we need to be able to realize that we can't do a lot of things on our own either, which is also very frightening a lot of times for me. But I think we can't get to the place of Mary unless we have also been in Martha's position until we realize that we can't do it all on our own and we are begging Jesus for help. We need to know that we can't, but he can. So it continues and it says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus does do something, but not in the way that Martha or probably you or I would actually expect. Rather than command Mary to go help her sister, which is what I would expect him to do, Jesus calls Martha to himself. Completely frustrated and overwhelmed, he calls her by name twice and he says, Martha, Martha. And then he expresses his concern about her preoccupation with all the things. And I'm sure at the time she's like, you made me stop what I was doing and called me over here to tell me I'm anxious and worried. Duh. Like, can I get back to what I'm doing? But he told her in verse 42 that few things are necessary, indeed only one, and it's him. And he's calling to her. He shines a light on her anxiety, but he doesn't wag his finger in her face. He doesn't tell her to, 
you know, get her life together, stop it right now, quit what you're doing, you know. He's gentle. So if you're here today or you're online and you're struggling with anxiety, I want you to hear me when I tell you that that is who Jesus is. He's patient and he's kind and he's not poking you or telling you to get your life together. He's not pressuring you. He's kind and he's gentle. And after rereading that verse about Martha, I think Jesus' words can provide a lot of perspective in those moments when we find ourselves stressed and full of worry. What's the one necessary thing? What's the one thing that I can't seem to see past in this moment? What's the one necessary thing? Mary had chosen to sit and listen to Jesus. She wasn't concerned with everything else going on around her. She was solely focused on him. And to get to the position of Mary, we have to be called out of our own anxiety. We must be able to hear that tender and loving call that Jesus has when he says, Allison, Allison, I am the only thing that is necessary. Typically, whatever I'm troubled about or stressed about um, seems just unmanageable. And sometimes it is. But when I look at Jesus, my focus tends to shift from my problems to the hope that he provides. He enters into our mess, our messed up priorities, our, the chaos of our lives, our anxiety, and offers us a way out and into a relationship with him. Because we are given the one necessary thing that can lead us to peace. Hear me out, though. I don't want you to leave this morning and think, okay, as long as I get a better perspective, all my anxiety is going to go away and I'm going to be good as new. I wish I could. But the benefit to us being thousands of years after Martha is that we know more of the story. We know that our work and our faith is not hand in hand. They don't go hand in hand. And as I walk through life, I'm understanding more and more that things aren't always simple to understand or fix, which is a problem for me, okay? But things are complicated, and many situations are out of our control. But for those who call themselves followers of Jesus, we know who is in control. We aren't defined by our failures or our successes, but we are human, and we need this constant reminder that we are merely human. We are not superheroes, unfortunately, right? We're told in Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious, but we can't on our own. We don't know how a lot of times to not be anxious. We know we're called like Martha to be like Mary, but we have to be able to listen when he is calling. And I think there are some practical ways that we can do that. Some of them may work for you. Some of them may actually challenge you a little bit. Some of them may cause you to find something else that actually works better for you. There's no one-size-fits-all answer here, okay? This is an art, not a science, okay? So we all have different upbringings, different personalities, different traumas and stuff that you're working through. But these are practices that can help us, that if we focus, allow us to flourish. So full disclosure, some of these things are not easy for me, okay? They are not my first instinct. When I'm stressed and I'm full of anxiety or worry or fear, um, I tend to go to chocolate, <laughs> carbs, okay? Um, but when I carve out intentional time and space for God, he meets me there, and I know that he will meet you there too. 
So the first is meditate on scripture. Now let's talk about the word meditate first because it can seem scary. I'm sure if you're like me, you're picturing someone sitting on the floor with their legs crossed and they're going, hmm, and you're thinking, I simply cannot sit in the same place for more than two minutes. Uh, at least that's me. Um, but what I'm talking about similar but a little bit different. I think we need to slow down and savor what we're reading or what we're learning. Take time. Don't rush. Focus. Meditating on verses or passages is more than just waking up in the morning to the verse of the day, the Bible app on your phone, and saying, yep, I agree with that, and then moving on with the chaos of our life. Okay, it's not a quick bite. It's a full meal. And in the story that we looked at about Mary and Martha, Jesus told her that only one thing is necessary, and that's listening to his word. And it should be a priority in our lives. And that looks a lot of different ways. Maybe you wake up in the morning with a warm cup of coffee and a Bible on your lap. Maybe you take your lunch hour instead of scrolling through social media to focus and read through different passages or a devotional. Maybe you end the day reading about who he is and his love for you. Next, I listen to music filled with truth. Now, full disclosure, I, I listen to all kinds of music, okay? I listen to the kind of music that we listen to on Sunday morning because this band is amazing. But also, I could sing along with songs that are currently trending because I have teenagers and TikTok. But I could sing along with country music. I can listen to oldies, although I'm not going to describe what that genre is because I'm not trying to get hate mail when I leave today. But it is when I find myself going down the rabbit hole of anxiety and worry and fear, listening to songs about Jesus' love and his promises for me can bring me back into a focus, a refocus, kind of a better mindset. It's kind of like if your teenager's in the room, it's the attitude adjustment that, you know, your parents always tell you, or at least mine always did, that I needed, but now I actually know how to get it. But the next one may seem obvious, and that is talk to God. Now, I said it may seem obvious, but when we are in the middle of worry and an anxious season, we don't always do the most obvious things like pray. Now, another disclaimer, I have had very well-intentioned church-going um, people tell me before that I just needed to pray about it more, I just needed to bring it before the Lord. And I can say that not only have I uh, gone before the Lord, but I have been face down on my bedroom floor in the fetal position, bringing things before the Lord, begging him to take this from me. And sometimes, though, we don't know what to say. Maybe we don't think he's listening. Maybe we think we're not saying the right things. Maybe we've been brought up in church where people were using big, fancy words that didn't seem to make any sense to us, and we didn't understand. Maybe their prayers were heard more than ours because we're just using basic, normal people language. And, you know, maybe we don't even know what words to say because we're so caught up in the actual thing that we are anxious about that we just don't even know what to do. Paul wrote in Romans 8.26, he says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And when I read that, I think of this meme that you may have seen, dear Jesus, 
Amen. Okay? It's that simple. Sometimes we don't have to say anything because he knows the desires of our heart. And so when we think that our prayers are all jumbled and messed up and we're not making any sense, and so that's why he's not answering because this is what our prayer looks like, that's not the case, you guys. He knows your heart, but he isn't the only one who will listen. Talk to a friend or counselor. Sometimes just sharing my anxious thoughts or feelings with a trusted friend can bring some relief. Find someone you trust who will listen to you and who will speak God's word with, into your anxious heart. Now, sometimes we tend to think that we should be able to handle everything on our, on our own, that we just keep these anxious thoughts swirling, 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 swirling in our mind that are getting us literally nowhere because we think that we should be able to handle things on our own. And that is just not the case. We tell people that we're fine, even though we are clearly not fine. I had someone tell me once that fine stood for freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. And they're not wrong, okay? Like, definitely true. But we, when we say we're fine, we just don't want to talk about it anymore. We don't want to think about it anymore. We don't want to do anything else about it in that moment. But find someone that you cannot be fine with because that's who you really need. But maybe your next step is to take a break from social media. Yeah, I said it. It's okay. I mentioned that I have teenagers, and I've told them this same tip before because we have never before been more connected than we are now, for better or for worse. But when I was in school, if I had a problem with somebody, I got to go home. I didn't have to hear them. I didn't have to see them. I didn't have to think about them until I went back to school the next day. Now we're connected 24-7. We see their highlight reel. We're on their story where they're sending Snapchats to streaks to everybody and their brother. Okay? Sometimes we need to silence the noise. But even as adults, we are on there and we're thinking, oh, I wish I could pull off that outfit she's wearing. Oh, I wish I could buy X, Y, and Z like they have. But silence the noise from social media will allow you for time that actually bring do things that bring joy to your life. And that can be a lot of things. Maybe you read, maybe you want to cook a new recipe, maybe you want to take your dog on a walk. Whatever it is, sometimes we just need to silence the extra noise in our life to be able to refocus on the one necessary thing. But sometimes it's not that easy. Sometimes you may need to talk to your doctor. Sometimes we look at disorders like anxiety and we think, God, why won't you just take this from me? And he can and he does, but sometimes it's not always in the way that we think, kind of like Martha or like we expect. There are times where we need to get out of our own way, where we need to put pride aside and realize that he inspires people who create medicine. You guys, this makes my mind go, because I can barely create a grilled cheese sandwich. But he inspires people that create medicine. And they can provide the relief that we have been begging him to give us. So I would encourage you to strike up a conversation with your doctor. And if you're concerned about anti-anxiety medication, I promise you, they don't look at you like you're a cookie cutter and think, okay, because they have anxiety, this is what we're going to do. And everybody that has anxiety gets this exact same thing. That's not the case. Okay. They'll follow you. They manage you. They check on you. They want you to feel better. So if this 
is something that you have been hesitant about, I want you to hear me that this is okay. And honestly, we should be thanking him that we live in a time where this is even an option for us because that we even have this available instead of fighting through the stigma of being on anti-anxiety medication. Now, here is one that I struggle with the most, and it's playing the tape all the way to the end. When you think, what if this thing that I am super stressed out about and worried about actually happened, the next question we need to ask is, if this actually happened, would God still be faithful? Would I still trust him? Would he still take care of me? Because a lot of times the things I'm worrying about are totally in God's hands. And even if it happened, I would still trust him. And we don't know the end of Martha's story, so I like to think that she, you know, set down the food, took off her apron, left the sink full of dirty dishes, and came to just sit at the feet of Jesus with her sister, just listening and being with him. I don't know the end of my story, and I don't know the end of your story either, but I believe in the same Jesus that Martha did. And I know that he is the same today as he was then. I know that he loves you and me and Martha all the same. So when anxiety and fear are overwhelming you, let's choose to sit at his feet and listen to him because he cares about you. And healing takes place in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's temporary relief from anxiety during a Sunday morning worship service. Sometimes it's a one-person worship service in your car. Sometimes it's ongoing treatment from a doctor. And all of those are okay. But what I can personally attest to is that God can give you the peace and determination to manage those days when anxiety and fear and worry seem too close for comfort. And through that, there is so much grace, you guys, and ultimately freedom. Pray with